Hello and welcome back to the Dante in a Year podcast. My name is Danny Fitzpatrick. This episode is coming out a little later in the day. I'm just getting back from New Orleans where I had the opportunity to spend this weekend with the wonderful folks at Divine Mercy Parish in Kenner. We got to talk about Dante and the new translation and Tim Schmaltz's sculptures. Uh, Tim has his Angels Unaware sculpture on display in New Orleans right now. So it was a really great time. Uh, thanks to those of you in the parish who are listening right now. It was wonderful to spend time with you. Today, we are in Canto 10 of Dante's Inferno, which means that we are one-tenth of the way through the Divine Comedy. So we've just come into the city of Dis, uh, and we're moving among the, the heresiarchs, people who preached heresy during their lives. Now he goes by a secret street between the wall and the land of the martyrs, my master, and I go just behind. O summit of virtue, who through these impious gyres turn me, I commenced, as it pleases you, speak to me and satisfy my desires. The people that lie in the sepulchres, can they be seen? Now all the lids are lifted and no one stands guard. And he to me, all will be shut when those return from Jehoshaphat with the bodies they've left. This is the cemetery of that part who held with Epicurus and all his followers that the soul meets death with the body. But the demand that you make of me will here at once be satisfied within, and that desire you still conceal from me. And I, good leader, I don't hold hidden my heart from you except to say a little, as you've disposed me to from time to time. O Tuscan who go through the city of fire, alive and speaking such honesty, rest if it please you in this place. Your eloquence makes manifest your birth of that noble fatherland, to which perhaps I was too harsh. Immediately this voice sounded from one of the arks, so accosted I came, trembling a bit nearer my leader. And he said to me, Turn, what are you doing? You see there Farinata who is upright, from the waist you see all of him. I had already fixed my gaze to his, and he emerged with chest and with forehead, as if he held all hell in great disdain. And the ready, heartening hand of the leader pushed me to him through the tomb, saying, Count your words with care. As I was at the foot of his tomb, he regarded me a bit, and then, as though disdainful, demanded, Who were your betters? I desired to speak, held nothing back, but opened all to him, to which he raised his brows but a bit. Then he said, Fiercely furious enemies to me and to my people and to my party, who made me twice disperse them. If they were ousted, they came again from every side, I replied to him, the one and the other time, but yours have not well apprehended that art. Then surged into the uncovered view a shade, this tall, his head visible. I think that he had risen on his knees. He looked around me, as if he'd hoped to see if some other was with me. And then, when all his suspicion was spent, crying out, he said, If through this sightless prison you pass by loftiness of genius, where is my son, and why is he not with you? And I to him, I come not by myself. He who attends me minds me here. Maybe to one your Guido held in disdain. 
His words and the mode of the penalty had already read me his name. Thus was the response so full. Suddenly straightened, he cried, How? You said he held? Does he not still live? Does the sweet light not fire his eyes? When it occurred to him, I delayed a bit before I made my response. He fell back supine and came forth no more. But that other great soul, at whose post I had rested, did not change aspect, nor move his neck, nor incline his chest. And he, continuing what he'd said first, if they've badly apprehended this art, it torments me more than this bed. But not fifty times will the face of the body reigning here be relit before you'll know how heavy an art it is. And if you'd ever regain the sweet world, tell me, why is that people so impious against mine and all law? Then I to him, the torment and grand massacre that colored the arbia red made them make such prayers in our temple. Then his head shook with sighing, and he said, At that I was not alone, nor certainly without reason would I have moved with the others. But I was alone, there where, besought by all who would have done away with Florence, I opened vision to her defense. Well, if ever your seed would meet repose, I prayed him, resolve for me that knot that has enveloped my sense. It seems you see, if I hear well, that which time will lead beforehand, but in the present hold another way. We see as those who have bad light, those things, he said, that are distant, so much still shines on us from the highest land. When they press near or are, all is empty to our intellects, and if others don't apprise us, we know nothing of your human state. So comprehend, if you can, that all dies of our knowledge from that point that the door of the future is closed. So compuncted for my fault, I said, Will you now tell that one fallen that his son is still conjoined with life? And if before I was silent in response, let him know it was because I wondered on the error you've solved for me. And now my master reclaimed me, at which I prayed the spirit tell me more swiftly who was with him, he to me. Here with me lie more than a thousand, among them the second Frederick and the Cardinal, and of the others I am silent. So he hid himself, and I turned my passage back to the ancient poet, reconsidering those words that appeared to me evil. He moved on, and then, as we were going, asked me, Why are you so confused? And I satisfied his demand. Let your mind present what you've heard against you, that sage commanded me. And now attend this, and he lifted a finger. When you are before that sweet ray of her whose beautiful eyes see all, by her you'll know the journey of your life. Then he moved his steps to the left hand. We left the wall and turned into the middle by a path that feeds a valley, whose stench displeased us even at that height. So one thing I'd like to point out at this point is that we've reached a really interesting moment in the comedy uh, where Dante realizes that the people who are in hell are able to see the future, but they can't see the present. And this is a really critical component of Dante's understanding of the human mind, and in particular of sinfulness. So St. Augustine tells us in Book 11 of his Confessions, that time is a distension of the mind. Time, he says, is this experience 
of being drawn back into the past by our memory, of being drawn forward into the future by our anticipation, and of not really being able to rest in the present. And he said, Augustine tells us that that's where our anxiety comes from, is from not being able to be in the present. God is eternally present, and our future life that we hope for with, with God will be one of eternal presence to him. And so our experience in life of allowing ourselves to be dragged back into the past by memories, dragged forward into the future uh, by anticipation, often makes us very anxious. And it's out of that anxiety, Augustine said, uh, that we tend to sin. So Dante is looking at the same reality here um, and showing us that the, the souls in hell have exactly that presence eternally taken away from them. They are not able to be in the present uh, in eternity, just as they were not able to be in the present in life. So that's one thing we'll keep in mind. It's really interesting to note how people throughout the comedy relate to time. So we'll keep that in mind as we move forward on Friday into Canto 11. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Dante in a Year podcast. My name is Danny Fitzpatrick, and can't wait to see you then.